Welcome to School Choice Report, where we explore everything about one of the most important education topics. I'm your host, David Hardy. In this podcast, we'll be talking to experts, educators, and parents to get a deep dive into the world of school choice. Whether you're an advocate, skeptic, or just curious, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's get started with the conversation. Hello and welcome to the School Choice Report. My name is David Hardy. Today our guest is the CEO and President of Pennsylvania Families for Education Choice, Sharon Sedler. Sharon strongly believes that parents are uniquely qualified to make educational decisions for their children and the rights of those parents should be respected. That there is no single educational offering that will ever suit every special and unique child. Pennsylvania's Families for Education Choice works to highlight the importance of education choice via all models, and we're excited to have her join us today. Hello, Sharon. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on today, Dave. Glad to have you here. How have you been? I haven't seen you in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been around here and there, you know. I'm sure you're making trouble. That's that's what we do, right? (laughs) All right. Well, listen, I typically like to dissect with my guests the why. Why are they so strong an advocate for school choice? So you tell us your why. Yeah. So my why comes from an up and close personal experience in district education. So I've got six girls. So know, ages 13 to 24. And, you know, there are some girls who need, you know, they like sports or they like academics. They like books. Some of them, I let my drive my car. Some of them don't touch my car. (laughs) Needs different things. Right. And so I can only imagine, you know, we, we need those special touches and those special environments for the 1.6 million students in Pennsylvania. And district education and private education was fine for my older kids, but things changed through the years. And my youngest child didn't have a great experience in the district environment. And, you know, we tried for seven months to work with district officials and try to make the environment what she needed it to be. And it just wasn't feasible. And so the reason that I advocate so strongly for children is because I'll never forget the day that my child said, you know, mom, I'm sorry. She was seven years old and she was apologizing to her mom saying, I'm sorry, I can't go back there. Please don't make me. So to have have your seven-year-old apologize to you because she can't go to school because she's tried her hardest for seven months broke my heart. And, you know, kids need to be able to do more, to have the environment in which they can do more than just make it through the day. They shouldn't just be surviving these educational environments. They should be thriving within them. So I don't want to hear a story of another child just making it through the day. So I try to help parents and families provide the the education environment that's best for that child. Well, that's great. Now, you you would think that schools would understand that one type of school can't work for all types of children. I mean, that 
that shouldn't be a hard one to understand. It's it's like having an ice cream shop and you only serve vanilla. You know, <laughs> people want chocolate, they want raspberry, they want all kinds of flavors. Same thing with education. Why do you think that there was there's such a pushback keeping parents from finding those other options? Yeah, I think there's an amazing amount of educational elitism out there right now. You know, it's the state gives us a certain amount of money and we're going to divide it up the way that we think it needs to be divided up. And after we take out all of the salary, pension and benefit money, and after we pay all of our bills and after we worry about facilities and in some cases, new football stadiums and AstroTurf and concession stands, then we'll see if we can replace those 20 year old textbooks that are in the classroom or give our kids the technology they deserve or provide them up-to-date curriculum and programming, or God forbid, you know, sometimes you don't even get CTE or vote. In my day, they called it Votech. Now they call it CTE, right? And so the kids are an afterthought. The differentiation really doesn't occur. What individual children need really isn't thought of because the establishment is so busy worrying about the adults that they've forgotten about the kids. What would you say to those people? Well, well, if you had to, you know, you you run into them all the time. What do you say to people who who oppose for that reason? Not look, there are people who oppose school choice for reasons they that they think are legitimate, and maybe they are okay. And if you really oppose it for a moral reason, I might not agree with it, but you certainly can do that. But when you're when it's just out of self-interest economically and you're talking about making some somebody else's child have to function in a school that doesn't work for them i think that's where that's where i i part company with these people so and those are the people i'm talking to, that i want you to talk to what do you say to people like that i mean how do you reach people like that how do i reach people like that, to oppose school choice, right. but not for moral reasons, for personal selfish reasons. People that oppose school choice for selfish reasons. So when they're more concerned about the adults than they are the kids, I'm, I'm guessing, um, mm-hmm. or they want to increase their own status or their own profile. And there's a lot of those right now. There's a lot of people that say that are supposed experts that say, well, my school district is responsive. My school board listens to me. I can pick up the phone and talk to the principal anytime I want. I don't have this problem in my district and I have kids in a school district. So therefore, it's a to quote someone recently who was on a certain program. It's a made up crisis. I have five kids and all my kids are fine. It's a made up crisis. Well, you know, I've got six kids and I can tell you it's not a made up crisis. And the crisis is real. And we have kids struggling. We have proficiency rates for math and reading at 30% in the 30s. You know, how is that not a dire circumstance? We have kids that go to school with eight foot fences around their buildings. We have kids who don't have safe routes to school. We have kids being victimized in their education environments 
we have kids who, who don't have the appropriate security or oversight while they're in those buildings. We have just a myriad of unsafe practices occurring within these school buildings. We need to protect these kids. So if you're in it for your own self-interest, we're going to see through you and parents are going to call you out on it and you're not going to be there for long. That should be scary to them. (laughs) As you know, teachers unions here in, in Pennsylvania and across the nation are pretty powerful. And in fact, they're the highest, they were among the highest donors to our current governor, Josh Shapiro. How is your organization, Pennsylvania Families for Educational Choice, how are they working to elevate your positive message above all the noise from the unions and all the money they have to spend? It's really hard. I'm not going to lie. You know, voices do tend to get drowned out by you know, the PSEA and the AFT and the PSBO and the PSBA. But let's face it, you know, there are 70% of students in Pennsylvania attend districts. The other 30% isn't in another option. So that's about 450,000 kids that aren't even utilizing the district system. Clearly, there's a reason why they're doing that. I would submit that, you know, nothing beats parent voice or parent fight uh, and that there is an opportunity for us to take back our schools, take back our children and regain that parental authority that we used to have somewhere, somehow it's been lost. And I know you had Senator Williams on a few weeks ago and he mentioned how the environment and society has changed and the parental perspective has changed. And now we're dealing with some of the fallout from a different kind of parental positioning, right? So we need to make sure that the parents of today understand the power that they have in order to overcome these voices of the AFT, the PSBO, the PSEA, and all of them. They may be protective of the district, but we need to make sure that the voices of all of the kids are heard. And that includes district, but it also includes the privates and the charters and the homeschool kids. And why are they seeking those options? So we need to uncover why, and we need to elevate those stories. And we need to make those stories louder than those positioning points of those adults in those organizations. See, I think these these people spend lots of money. And I wonder how much education would improve if instead of spending that money on lobbying and opposing options, they spend it on the craft of teaching. Helping teachers get better at teaching, bringing in studying new pedagogies, that type of thing, so that more kids could get a better education. What do you think? What do you think about that? Well, I mean, that's kind of you're telling them to put their money where their mouth is, right? Mm-hmm. They're not going to give that up because they like their money. <laughs> you know, and, and here's the thing, right? So we have school districts, they've got what, 5 billion sitting there in reserves and they're still asking for more money and raising taxes. And I don't deny that certain districts and certain areas may very well need that 26 or 30,000 per student. You know that in urban areas, they need more resources. They have crumbling buildings. They're 
hundred years old. They have asbestos. They have non-working plumbing. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Let's uplift those environments and let's make sure those kids have safe environments for them to learn in. However, um, you know, we also have the uh, Peasers account. What's going on with that? Right. So Peasers is draining 35 cents out of every dollar. That's um, right. You're right. So That's right. Where is all the money going? Everybody's complaining about oversight of the choice options of the privates and the charters. But what about the oversight of the district spending? Why do they have so much in reserves? They still have another, I think it's $4 billion sitting there in, in COVID funding that they mm-hmm. haven't even touched yet. Mm-hmm. More money isn't the issue. It's oversight of what they're doing with the money they're already getting. And who controls how that money is spent? Because the fact is that they have things to spend on that money on right now, and they're not doing it because they're waiting for things that they want, that they decide. And that that's the part people miss. Right. And they'll say that, well, you have school boards and you elect your school boards. So that in and of itself is power of the parents to voice their opinion in the communities. But the problem is when you go to a school board meeting and believe me, the school board saw plenty of me and heard plenty of my words when I attended almost every meeting for a good 18 months. Well, right before COVID when we were in district school, when you talk to them about curriculum or you talk to them about student affairs, they tell you, well, we're just here for the financial and legal protection of the district. We're here to protect the district's interests. We're not going to get into curriculum. We're going to rubber stamp whatever the superintendent says. And that's where our authority and our responsibility stop. And look, I'm not knocking school boards because they're volunteers. They are people who give their time, effort, talent, to hopefully better the lives of students that are within that district. But how long do you have to wait for those school boards to turn over? Mm -hmm. Well, we just had a a demonstration here by uh, the African-American Charter Association, and they they weren't kind to the school board. (laughs) I, I think that one of the things that they had a legitimate complaint about was that they complained about a certain department and having fair treatment from that department. The school board continued to keep that department over them. And and even when the the uh the report came back, it didn't it didn't slam them all the way, but it had some very negative comments about it. They give the guy a promotion. I mean, I just think that's tone deaf. And I I think that, first of all, that guy is in a bad situation. (laughs) They didn't help him by doing that. And and they're not helping the situation by ignoring it. And I think that's what they're doing. And I think that's what's got the African-American Charter Association so upset. It's not that that they don't want a solution, a resolution on this. It's that they want the school district, the, the board of education, to listen to them and to really do something about their issue. It's a funny world out here, huh? No, I mean, and we've got, unfortunately, we're, you know, you. so some of those organizations we talked about a little bit before, you know, they're having their press conferences and their rallies and making their speeches and pounding on their podiums. And um, you know who I'm talking about. So maybe we need to do some of the same. 
right? Maybe we need to go straight to our legislators. Maybe we need to have more of those rallies on those capital steps. Maybe we need to, you know, have more of the parent caravans where we go office to office through those Harrisburg halls and um, ask to speak with a member of the staff or ask to speak with a representative or the senator and, and make us a force to be reckoned with. You know, let's, let's make sure that policy supports the solutions that we know are out there. Well, everybody says that we need to get more parents out for these types of things. How do you think we do that? Because I don't see every I don't see a lot of people being really successful with that. It is really hard. You know, parents are busy. They're so busy. They're busy tending to the duties of the day and making sure their kids are safe and fed and they're working. But I think there's other opportunities for us to be able to do that. You know, there's there's phone calls you can make. There are letters that you can send. That's how I got involved. So I saw Cyber Charter legislation coming down the down the pipeline. So I sent, oh, I don't know, 50, 60, maybe 70 email letters to <laughs> some legislators, to senators and representatives. And there was one particular senator who who happened to be head of the education committee who said, hey, I got your story and can you testify at our hearing? And it was back in 2021 when they were having a Central, Western and an Eastern uh, hearing series. And so I did that. And then I heard that, you know, I said, well, how can I continue this advocacy? You know, how can I continue to contribute to the effort? And they said, um, well, not really sure about that. How about how about you start one? And I went, oh, OK. So, you know, I call myself sometimes jokingly like a PTO mom on steroids because... <laughs> Because that's what I did. I said, okay, well, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I can to add another voice to the conversation. And, you know, we have Nigema Roberson, shout out to my girl in Harrisburg Families United, right? We've got a bunch of people in Philadelphia that are, that are leading this, Marissa Gurdy, um, that are leading this and really making those positions and voices known and coming to the forefront. So I think it's just a matter of, advising and informing parents of what's happening, how some of this legislation coming down the pike can improve the lives of their children and really getting them fired up to contact those legislators and say, hey, this is going to help my child or this is going to help my neighbor's child or somebody I know. What can we do to make this happen? I have heard that it only takes a few telephone calls or a few contacts to a legislator's office to really get their ears to perk up and pay attention. You certainly got their attention. I did get their attention. And I'm <laughs> going to continue to get their attention. One of the things that I like to do is I like to bring a group of parents with me and we walk through the Harrisburg halls. Mm -hmm. I see some people starting to recognize my face when they see me coming and they do not duck into their offices. They actually say, hey, how you doing? So I'm just going to say that. For well, that's pretty good. <laughs> well, listen, uh, Governor Shapiro continues to assert that the budget deal is done. And it actually isn't done. And one of the biggest, if not the biggest sticking points is the lifeline or the past scholarship. The governor, the governor line item vetoed the program he claimed across the nation to support. And sadly, now, confused, now confusion reigns and what educational options are available to parents who are trapped in public schools is really not clear. How can we ensure that parents have access to sufficient information to make informed choices about education that best suits their child's needs? Well, we just got to keep being loud and consistent and 
I have no problem with the loud part for sure. And, you know, it's all about consistency and keeping that message out there. So what I try to do on my website is anything, anytime anything comes across my my desk or my computer, I try to put it on my website. So we have information about literacy, special education procedure. What are your options? Who are your representatives and Senate Senate senators on your educate respective education committees. How do you get in touch with them? So we do try to promote that information. We also try to promote information on social media. I have families who get in touch with me. Sometimes they just need one-on-one help and support. And sometimes that one-on-one help and support turns into a story, a story that we can put out there for other parents to understand that they're not alone and there are other families going through the same thing as them and that resolution is possible. So in terms of Governor Shapiro and Lifeline or past scholarships, there are still families in Philadelphia who don't know about it. And so one of the things that I'm doing is I have a parent in South Philadelphia who has recently come over to the side of Lifeline Pass Scholarships, and she's all about it. Um, She's all about having the conversation and bringing more parents in to talk about it and understand that this is available. I don't understand why there is objection to a program that helps the the students in the 15 worst performing schools. Lowest 15% of performing schools. Of performing schools. I don't understand why there's objection to that program. Those are the kids most in need of assistance. And yet we have people standing in the doorway, just blocking that door of opportunity for those kids. So I think parent pressure is going to be a real important part of letting those representatives, those legislators know that this is something that's needed. But first, we have to educate the parents to do that. And we're working every single day to try to get that message out there. And it is working. The message is spreading. Yeah. You know, I I went on a radio program in Philadelphia, I guess this is about a, a little over a year ago, to talk about the Lifeline Scholarship. And people started calling in because they thought it, it had already passed. And the, the, the line split up because people wanted to know about the scholarship. And when I said it hadn't passed, they were they were a little upset at me. I said, I, I'm, not, I'm not in the Senate or the House, but People want something like this. They they need options, and and there's no place else that blocks options like public education. I mean, I never see the Budweiser people going over to the Miller factory and, and saying they they produce an inferior product and trying to shut them down. And that, yeah, they compete. Okay. Uh, Ford and Chrysler compete. People compete in this country. That's the whole basis of this country. But the school district does not want any competition. And it's not because they're good at it. It's because they don't want somebody to show that they can do a a better job. Right. And, And I look at it another way as well, you know, to add to that is you either trust parents or you don't. 
you either trust that I know my child, what they need, or you don't. And I'm not even, you know, I could start bringing in the whole taxpayer information, double paying taxes, where are taxes going? You know, that's a valid point as well, right? Big time point. (laughs) But I know we don't have a whole lot of time. That's a little, you know, and that's a a whole nother ball of yarn there. But, you know, we have to take a look at it. We have to say, what is best serving these kids? Is it charter? Is it private? Is it virtual? Is it some sort of pod, micro school, hybrid homeschool? And there's a massive appetite in Pennsylvania for it. We just need to make sure that parents are aware of those options that we can, you know, facilitate the ability of, of those educational entrepreneurs to bring those options to light. A lot of those options are being, were started out of the COVID pod environment. Mm-hmm. And now um, those parents don't want to give up that agency and they like being involved in their children's lives and they like being more hands-on. So we're going to have to look forward to a lot of new ways to incorporate and engage that, that, um, part of the the industry you know the education environment because it's it's sadly it's poorly needed or no it's greatly needed greatly needed absolutely well for listeners who who may gloss over at sometimes that the policy we talked about today what is the one thing you want to make sure they know what's the biggest takeaway you want people to know about school choice so the I want them to understand that there are only seven states in the United States who spend, who, who fund education more than Pennsylvania. We are number eight in student funding, number eight at over 21,000. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Sharon. I've heard people say we're number 42. Yeah, they're talking about the state share of funding because local taxes and federal taxes are a portion of that as well. Okay. But even when you, we're paying $7,500 state portion of funding per student in Pennsylvania, we still are ahead of the mm-hmm. other, of the other states. Yeah. Well, what are we getting for the 21 plus thousand per student? We're getting a proficiency rate that we already talked about in the thirties for math and reading. We've got 70,000 kids on the EITC list to, you know, a lottery is run to see which kids are winners in that, in that area, which is, can you imagine Can you imagine your family, your child, you as a parent thinking, oh, my child's going to have an opportunity. My child could, you know, go to this other education environment that better suits them, have, have more of what they need. And then the lottery happens and they go up, try next year. Uh, I think, I think the lottery, these educational lotteries are the single cruelest thing I've ever seen. And, and I, I've seen shows where they're following the families during the lottery, where the parent gets the child all dressed up in Sunday clothes, and they get on the subway and they go down to the lottery place. And all the way down there, the parent's saying, you got to get in this school because this is going to be your future. And they pull the lottery and that kid doesn't get picked. That is cruel. I've never seen anything more cruel than that. And 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 the idea that we parse out something that a whole lot of people need. I thought, I'm glad we don't do that with food. You know, <laughs> there's, we parse out, there's, there's a neighborhood where there's not a lot of food. Well, we'll, we'll have a lottery on who eats this week. I mean, 
that's what we're doing. Right. And, and it's about, it really is about survival. I mean, school choice saves lives, changes lives. These kids, I heard recently that there are signs in some schools in Pennsylvania that say, just make it till you're 30. Just make it till you're 30. Meaning survive till you're 30. Wow. Right. And I had just heard that the other day and I thought, well, if these kids are in this environment where they're saying, just survive till you're 30, how do they feel about the prospects? How do they feel about returning to that building every single day to learn when the expectation is I'm not going to make it past 30? So that's a really sad commentary on the state of education for our children in Pennsylvania. And I do know that we can do better. So I would just say, you know, let's focus on the kids. Let's focus on the parent power and the, the, the parent voice, community members. You know, we all have kids that we know. We all have kids that we love. We need to put aside those preconceived notions and judgments, get everybody around the table to have these real conversations about the true experiences of these children, what they need and how we can be a part of the solution for them. A school policy focused on children. What a unique deal. (laughs) Sharon, thank you so much for being with us today. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much, Dave. That's it for today's episode of School Choice Report. I hope you found the conversation enlightening and informative. If you have any feedback, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to us at schoolchoicereport.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. So you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, this is David Hardy signing off. Thanks for tuning in.